Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 98 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Our guest today, he is an absolute mixed game poker powerhouse with over $1 million in career live tournament earnings. This past summer, he had his greatest achievement to date, winning his first bracelet in the 10K horse event at the World Series of Poker. He's got a few dozen tournament results dating back to 2005, but he makes his bread and butter in cash games currently as a staple in the 8160 game at Resorts World in Las Vegas. On today's show, we're going to get to know this man a little better. Andrew Ye, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, good to speak with you. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, we're going to get to know them a little bit better and it's nice, you know, it's, uh, we've played together before a little bit, we've spoken mm-hmm. to each other a little bit, but uh, it's good to have a chance to really dive a little bit deeper, learn who you are, uh, you know, your poker career, what you do at Felt, away from the Felt, so uh, thanks uh, for giving us the time, I appreciate it. No problem, cool. glad to be here. Yeah, so um, let's start out with that uh, first tournament result. I mean, I couldn't help but notice it was a biggie. Uh, you cashed in the Party Poker Million Four. That was back when it was on the big cruise ship back in the day. Um, I think this is about 2005, 2006. So it that was, a- was actually not me. That was there's actually another Andrew Ye that played a lot of online poker at the time. You're kidding and, me. Yeah, and he lives in Mesquite, and that's all of the online result stuff is all his. Not Everything on that no, but it can't be. So it's because it's a Hendon mod result. It's recorded there. Yeah, but it's been there for before I started playing tournaments. So whoa, yeah. no kidding. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that was like way before. That's very interesting because I looked up Andrew Yeh on Hendon mob, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, that is the first result that you have there. So wait a minute. So I did my. I tried to do my research. That's interesting. Maybe there's a different Andrew Yeh. When did you start playing tournaments? Uh, I think my first result was the Caesars one. The Caesars fifth place finish in the Omaha Eight Better. That was my first actual recorded result that I know of. And it's a one second. So this is like two thousand and nine or eight. I think uh, okay. Maybe seven. Okay, so I'm not coming around there. Okay, I'm not completely off. Okay, so yeah. maybe there's a little bit but we know Eric Dunny of the Hendon Bob. He listens to this podcast. So Eric, if you're listening, we gotta we gotta refresh Andrew Yeah, It's actually uh, funny because I actually know this Andrew Yeah. He actually reached out to me one time and we uh-huh. actually you know talked to each other a little bit before and because we noticed that our results were mixed together at the time. So this is like uh, 10, 12 years ago. Very interesting. Okay, yeah. so that was okay. So were you primarily an online poker player before starting no. to grind tournaments or was it always just cash games? It's always been live and uh, cash games uh-huh. and very, very little tournaments. I'm, I'm not an online guy. I actually really don't like playing online that much. Uh-huh. So why is that? I mean, so many of your contemporaries did go that route, whether it's online or just, you know, starting the tournament grind. We've known about them, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, you're in that yeah, same yeah. age group, but you know, you've chosen a different path. Why is that? Yeah, I just I just never found it. I, I found it too easy, like to be distracted while playing. Mm. Like I just I couldn't focus. No matter how many tables I played, I couldn't focus. And but when I play live, I can find myself focused, like looking at people, physical tells and whatnot. 
But online is just clicking buttons. And to me, after a while, it got really boring really fast. Huh. Interesting. And it's found it not interesting at all. Yeah. So, okay. Well, you do play the odd tournament here or there. When you do play a tournament, why why is that? I mean, like you're obviously mostly cash games all the time, but every so often you decide to hop in. So what is it that gives you, mean you that live feeling or... that I want to give it a try? Yeah, live tournaments. Oh, I mean, I just started playing that because um, I actually, I played some Nolan Mahone tournaments, like dailies and stuff like that. And before I got into mixed games, I mostly started Omaha, Ada Better. Uh-huh. And then I started, I just decided to take a shot at Omaha, Ada Better tournament. That's the one at the Caesars where I finished fifth. And I liked it a lot. And ever since, and right after that, I jumped into the, uh, at the time, the 3060 Omaha, Ada Better cash game at the Bellagio. Yeah. And that's what kickstarted my uh, whole non-Hold'em thing and just took it off from there right okay well i mean talking about those levels and the levels you currently play at usually people don't jump in you know i, I could call it kind of a deep end or at least the middle of the pool usually people kind of tiptoe in how did you sort of first start playing poker you know was it like penny stuff home games uh, when you're oh no up? like i have i had zero micro management as far as that's concerned like i just <laughs> jumped into whatever game i felt was big enough to make money i guess didn't matter at the time because uh-huh. I was single, had a kind of had a job, I guess. Didn't really care, so right. So <laughs> just especially like because I think at the time, a couple years after that, but uh, Venetian started their DSAC tournaments, right? And uh, they started having a lot of mixed tournaments as well. So like you know, Omaha, Ada Better, OE, right. Horse, and stuff like that. So I was able to play all almost all of those whenever it was available. So. Sure. And then I get the whole thing of, you know, not necessarily having dependents and, you know, single, that sort of thing. You can kind of, you know, play around. You don't have, uh, you know, too many worries on your head. Right. But at any point, like, was it, was it this feeling of, you know, you wanted to pursue anything else as a career or, you know, at some point you said, oh, this is what I well, want to do. I want to become a professional poker player. Um, I think I've always had that, but I've never actually took it seriously until maybe maybe like seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've always like, felt like I can do this, but like, it just didn't have the motivation at all. Okay. Just, I would just play more for fun. So and what was the motivation? More for, just, more, more for just either fun or just being a degenerate either way. Right. So, right. Yeah. Didn't have much control over myself at the time. So what, what happened seven, like, eight years ago? What was that turning point for you? No, uh, got married and, I bills. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I actually have to make money now, so right. Sorry to take it more serious. That's at the time, I was at the, yeah. At the time, I was you know still working at Venetian, and I felt like okay, this job thing isn't going to work out because I feel like it doesn't make enough money to uh, live comfortably. So mm-hmm. that's when I decided to start playing full time to get a lot more serious. And what had you been doing at the Venetian? Uh, I was there for quite a while actually. I was I was I started off dealing. And then I started flooring, running tournaments, and did some uh, dealer training over there mm-hmm. for maybe about seven to eight years. So the industry was always sort of attractive to you. You like being around poker, that sort of thing. Right, right, right. Well, no, the whole reason why I got into poker is because initially I was in uh, table games, um, casino and pits. But then all the uh, cigarette smoking and stuff like that, I can't take it. Like, it can't breathe for me. So I mm-hmm. found out that there's no smoking in the poker room. So I ventured in one day and... Kind of liked it, so stay there. Wow. That is a very interesting uh, entry into poker. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Unbelievable. And you said just sort of jumping in 
to higher stakes games, you know, you must have realized though, if everyone's playing lower stakes, then there's higher stakes games that perhaps like the skill level is very, very high. How did you sort of catch up? Lots of people just sort of work their way up over time. But, you know, if you're jumping into stakes 30, 60 like that, uh, was it just, you know, trial by fire and a lot of losing first? Well, no, not really. I actually ran really well Mm. when I jumped into 30, 60, which kind of like gave me overconfidence and, Mm -hmm. Obviously, I didn't learn as much as I should have because I didn't lose much. Right. So I felt like I was playing right when I probably wasn't. And it wasn't until like after that where um, I lost a bunch. And then I started realizing, okay, this is not really working. What am I doing wrong? And I started playing. I, I, I didn't even know there were other games at the time. I thought that was the only Omaha Edibetter game. I didn't know those games that were lanes. I didn't know. Right. At that time, Venetian didn't have the A16 with a 1530 Omaha yet. So. Right. And then after we started getting those games at Venetian, then I started playing there a lot more. And then I started learning the game a lot more and, you know, adjust my game accordingly to whoever's playing. So it was learning primarily through experience or did you study in any way? Did you? Oh, no, I never, I've never studied. Like I'm terrible at studying Mm -hmm. school or poker or reading. No, I I can't do that. Um, I just all from experience from watching, you know, hand over hand over hand, how people play certain hands. You know, why did play certain hands? Just learning from learning from that. Mostly a lot of it's feel, really. Right. That's interesting because, you know, that was a very common answer when you ask poker players that question in the 80s, in the yeah. 90s, as far as yeah. no limit hold'em. For right. mixed games, you can answer that and still be a top-tier player. Why, why is that? Why is there not so much theory and poker training out well, there for mixed because games? a lot of it's not solved, right? A lot of the mixed games aren't solved, whereas now like, in the Lima Hold'em, or especially Lima Hold'em, it's theoretically solved, right? So, it's, yeah. you know, it's all studying, charts, ranging, and whatnot, whatever all those fancy terms are. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't really do all that. You, you, you have some of that stuff in, in mixed games, but not to the point of like Nolan Mahodam or Holden sure. in general. Sure. So, uh, you know, the story goes about, you know, the, the guys from, you know, Negranu, Ivy, Alan Cunningham, like John Juwanda, that area, uh, that air, that era, sorry. Like also that was a time where there wasn't too much training material out there, not many books. Right. So they kind of learned from each other. There was a group. Is that something that happened for you? Because, you know, it's kind of a um, tight knit mixed game really. community. Yeah, not really. I never really talked to anybody about poker mm-hmm. until recently, actually, where I started playing more, started making more friends within the poker community that play people who play for a living and whatnot. Yeah. Then I started talking to people about hands and whatnot, but I've never really had a group of people that I discussed it with. I, I have friends I play with, but like mm-hmm. we all took it more of a as a joke than anything else. Like if I lose a if I lost a hand in a in, in a tournament. We laugh about it. We don't actually learn or discuss why that happened or right. what I played wrong or whatnot. So. Right. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, my, well, my learning curve is very, very not steep like a lot of people's. My learning curve is very flat. Right. <laughs> but that's interesting. So you say, well, okay. So there was a turning point though, seven, eight years ago where you became, as you said, more, more responsible with, with that sort of a thing. Yeah. Management. Obviously you're a, a seasoned pro at this point. 
Um, there's a lot of folks who might want to dabble a little bit in mixed games, but don't necessarily either have the bankroll to or want to jump in like you did straight into the higher stakes, 330, 60 and up. Um, you know, those are notoriously tough games to beat, uh, you know, especially if you're just starting out. Um, for those who are just starting, let's say they're starting at a 4-8, you know, very you know, low right. stakes type of stuff. How or what advice would you give as far as moving up in stakes? How do you know you're ready? Um, if you're just playing live, I would say, you know, once you stream, you, you feel like you can, you can tell at a point where you start winning consistently and starting to build, I guess, a, a bankroll at that point for whatever stakes you're playing. And I would suggest, you know, watching the tighter players and seeing what the, how they play and why they play certain hands and what they show down at the end and try and not really imitate that, but like work that into your game. And, you know, because everyone knows technically, you know, tighter is, is better supposedly, but um, yeah, like even, even like the lower stakes games now, they're still, it's, it's not easy because mixed game is a very high variance game. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of swings regardless of how you play really. So, hmm. but um. Yeah, I would say watch some of the uh, tighter players and just learn from them. You Interesting. Know, watch, you know, also really, it makes things you get really got to keep your emotions in check because you take a lot of beats. There's a lot of one outers, two outers all the time, consistently. And just because you use all the cards in the deck all the time. So, right. You just got to, you can't let those get to you because it just happens consistently right. over time. And that can be dangerous because if you stay in your seat, then uh, your chips yeah. will start disappearing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Don't, don't tilt. Important advice there. Okay. It just, so it just happens. So would you say, well, because of what you said, you know, is it fair to say that anyone who's playing, you know, 30, 60, 40, 80, you know, like that kind of stuff, if they're playing that and up, they would go to a 816 or a 4-8 and completely destroy the game run over the table? Or is there, you know, also variance there? I would say it's more likely they will lose in those games. Unless you're just so nitty that you cannot take playing loose. But <laughs> like from my understanding, the way I think at least, like if I jumped into a four A or sixteen games, I would want to play more hands. And I would uh -huh. want to try to to snow a lot more, try a lot of different moves because at this level it doesn't affect me, you know, financially. So I can try all this stuff to see how people react to it and maybe you know implement later on mm -hmm. and whatnot. For sure. And for those who who don't know, you know, it's a lot. Most folks are you know of the no limit hold and persuasion. Can you explain just briefly what is snowing? What is the what does that mean? Uh, snowing is, I guess, the mixed conversion of bluffing, but not really bluffing. It's bluffing with, with information. Like you you hold, let's say, in, for example, in deuce of seven, you hold a lot of the deuces in seven. We're seeing a lot of the deuces in sevens, and you decide to, um, you know, just hold on to them and stay pat and to, you know. Because you know that they, they can't have that good of a hand, right? If you have all these cards, and just to, and then you just build through and hope that they don't make a hand. Because generally, they won't even call you down with a bad a a bad nine or a bad ten. So right, even though they're getting ten to one or more on right. on the there, there's always odds in mixed games, anyways, as right. far as calling down. So you can't really factor that in, right? If I found out, you shouldn't really factor that in anymore because you always have odds to call. Right. <laughs> That's true. No, it's just interesting. You know, folks who are not into as into mixed games don't necessarily know the difference and nuances. That's an important thing to realize. And, you know, always trying to grow poker, not just hold them. Uh, it's important to sort of uh, introduce people to these sort of uh, 
you know, niche differences. Um, you know, so there, I think it's fair to say that with regard to mix, there are very few, relatively speaking, like regular games that are being played at, at your current level, 80, 160 and up. Um, some of the game, some of the guys in that game, uh, we have interviewed here on the Cards Chat podcast before. Uh, Alina Judd, he was uh, episode number sixty. Kevin Gerhardt was uh, episode eighty-four. Uh, Nathan Gamble, episode fifty-nine. So we're going to get that whole group eventually. Um, uh, I wonder. It's a it's a great group. It's wonderful. As I mentioned, uh, I had the good fortune to play in that game a couple times. How did that game originally come together? Um, and also, Resorts World is about a year, I don't know, a year and a quarter a old. A year and three months, yeah. Yeah. So, like, did that game exist somewhere else prior to Resorts World? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, it actually all it originated when, uh, because of all the Mexicans that at the time were at Bellagio, 80, 60 and higher, 48 and whatnot. And uh, Crazy Mike has started his, um, I guess you can say, private-ish game there where he had his 8160 mix with uh mandatory straddles and triple annies and triple brians and whatnot and a lot of those 80 8160 players did not did not want to play in his game and ali kind of felt like okay well there's a certain core group of players that don't want to play in this game maybe we can try and move uh those players to a different location Mm -hmm. and start our own game there because they don't want to deal with crazy mike a lot of times because they don't like i guess his attitude or just with his demeanor on the table. So uh, we actually group, maybe we had a group of maybe like seven or eight guys that we moved to the, at the, to the win. I think it was 2018 or 19. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. It was like a year before COVID. And we started playing at the win and uh, starting right after the World Series, I believe it was in August. And then we played there until COVID hit. And then right after COVID, um, what do you call it? We came back to the win. And Molly had actually made a deal. I guess not really a deal, but he had actually intent on moving the game to the resorts when it it reopens. And that's what we did. A lot of guys don't agree with it because they thought that the win was was really nice, which they were. And it's a really, really good room. But he wanted to move the game there because a lot of the staff was actually going over from the wind to the sure. resorts. So sure. we actually oh. ended up moving the game there and um, better or worse. I, I don't, I don't know if it's better, better or not, but the room we have right now is really, really good. It's very yeah. private. We get a little, we're behind the glass room and everything. And we get to pretty much do whatever you want. We have control of the TVs, got music and whatnot. So it's actually pretty good. Yeah. And Can't you complain, know, that- obviously. Yeah, and, and like you know, you know, you're a regular there, and I and I've mentioned, you know, just from my outsider's perspective, uh, you know, obviously it's a, a game that uh, not just full of of world class players such as yourself, but what I loved about it is you're all really nice people. Uh, you know, it's just a genuinely... yeah. We try to keep that mentality within our group because yeah. we don't want people who are very disruptive. Well, there's some guys that are, as you know, but <laughs> you know, for the most part all of our guys are very nice and inviting to the game. And, you know, we, we're, we play very friendly in a way, yeah. not like to the point of collusion or anything of like course. that, but uh, just, you know, friendly, like we, you know, just if someone plays the wrong, wrong game or plays the wrong game, put in multiple bets, doesn't realize that right, he's playing the wrong game. We let him take the bets back and, you know, stuff like that. Just very friendly. That's and a big thing. Try, try and keep that friendly environment and, you know, People will like that. And obviously people who 
generally have an attitude when they're playing, maybe they would change their attitude in our game because mm -hmm. everyone is just so nice. That's great. No, I, I noticed also, you know, uh, when I was there, you offered me, you had like a big bag of candy and chocolates, you know, it's like a yeah. typical thing, you know, was, any, any reason what you decided to do that for? No, I'm no, it actually started when um, we had a big Halloween and we had a lot of leftover candy <laughs> and I decided to bring it one day in this big bag and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take some, I'll take some. And I, it, it just started a trend and then I just started <laughs> buying candy. So it's, it's like Halloween. 24 seven now. So uh -huh. <laughs> plus we have now at the resort, we have our own little cabinet full of snacks too. Oh, exciting. So, yeah. So we fill it up like once every few months and whatever from Costco and very nice. people like that. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. So what is from a, you know, just a strategic standpoint, you know, someone at the end of the day, you know, you're having fun, you're enjoying yourself. It's a good group of guys, good group of friends. You welcome the occasional visitor once in a while, you get your candy, but, you know, you all kind of have to make a living. Like I said, it's your bread and butter. How is it competing against basically the same people, the same group of people, you know, day after day, as opposed to new people? Like, what are the strategic, I don't know, um, changes that you have to make and, and shifting gears and things like that? I'm not obviously not asking for a specific strategy, but just generally speaking, when you're facing the same players all the time in order to win, what types of things do you have to keep in mind and do? Well, you want to get used to their tendencies and, you know, their tells. Well, tendencies become their tells, I guess, in hand. And you also have to mix up your play a bit because everyone, all, everyone in our group, our core group at least, they all know each other so well that right. we have to change up our play and mix it up a bit. Mm -hmm. As far as, you know, newcomers and people from out of town, we have to, I mean, at least for me, I have to sometimes calm down light just to see how they're playing. Mm -hmm. And just how, I, you just have to adjust to whoever comes in. And I don't know. Okay. Like that. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. <laughs> um, what are some of the, I guess, unique things, quirks? I mean, you've mentioned also like just you know, one example of everyone just sort of being nice. Uh, I, I remember they're also there. You kind of sometimes draw cards once in a while, like who's going to pay the time rake or something like that. What other sorts of unique quirks are there in that specific game that you may not find in other uh, mixed games, either around Las Vegas or the rest of the United States? Well, as, as far as like um, mixed games go, paying time, um, the way we do it is on a new dealer, we just there's a, either in stud will be up cards and draw games will be the stub or in board games will be the flop. Whichever C comes out, that's whoever pays the time for the whole down. Mm -hmm. And that's actually very common with all mixed games. That and why is time that? Rake, I, that's a time rake, at least. It's, mm -hmm. just, it's, just, it's faster. Mm -hmm. Instead of everyone putting up chips and then they have to make change for everybody and then put them together, you, you waste time paying time. And you know we want to get as many hands out as we can. So we just do it this way. And at the same time, in any game that pays time or hard, they, they all do this. They all have their own way of doing this, at least. Not everyone does it the same way. Mm -hmm. And for us, at least, even the rack, we don't even go into the rack. We don't let the dealers make any change on the rack. Like any change that comes out, either me or Kevin or somebody will have a, all the change and we'll just make change for people mm -hmm. as the game goes or whatever they need. Whatever we can do to speed the game up. Right. More just to see better, as many so. hands per hour per down, yeah. that sort of thing. Because mixed games are just inherently slower than all the games. Sure. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, Omaha high-low is 
uh, your favorite game, you know, generally speaking, high, low or any sort of split games, uh, you know, they do take longer. But so so I guess how do you comprise the mix? How many games are in the mix? Is it does it change uh, from from time to time or is it the same? Uh, it, it has. Uh, when we first started Game at the Win, we had a core set of games that we always play. I think at the time it was 13 games. Mm-hmm. All they had decided that that's the set of games that we're always going to play no matter what, because as you might probably know, one of the biggest issues with mixed games is when you start a game, people argue about what games they want to play and whatnot. Yes. It's I don't want to play this. I want to play that. And uh-huh. everyone starts fighting over it. And next, thing you know, there's no game because people leave. Right. So the way we do, we do it is just, this is our game. This is it. You either play it or you don't, you know? Okay. And that, that core set of games that we have has, changed over time a little little bit we have added, we've added more games we've changed some other games like sub games are interchangeable over time depending on what happens and like the role series comes we might take out all the super games and put in like raz and study to better and whatnot so and, and i guess the, and i guess the key is you know every orbit you know changing from a stud to a draw to a flop and then repeating that or is it okay to have you know, like I'm thinking, let's say someone wants to set up a home game or something like that, and mm-hmm. they want to put some mixed games in there. Like, what sort of order of games would you recommend, or it doesn't really matter? Um, I don't like things like two back-to-back flop games. I don't think it matters as long as I, I just think it's more important if you have like the five-card games separated from the four-card games as well as the stud games. You just don't want that the same number of cards back-to-back or have stud back-to-back because mm-hmm. then people can. If it's a friendly game, people you don't want people to misplay. You know, wrong games, play the right. wrong game, and whatnot. Right. If you're, if you have a, a hostile game, I guess you can call it. You know, you <laughs> want to put all the five card games back to back, hoping that someone will make a mistake. Right. But you know, we, we don't, we don't, we're not looking for that. So sure. Okay. And uh, you know, just it's you know, again, it's it's a very friendly home game type of vibe there, and you know, typically in home games, there's like some ribbing, there's maybe some prop bets or stuff like that. Oh, yeah. does, does that happen with you guys as well? Yeah, actually, we used to have to do a lot of, we used to have a lot of prop bets. Like, me and Kevin used to have a, a lot, like, we did props every single time we played together, and it it didn't really get out of hand, but um, it became more of a focus than the game mm-hmm. itself. Interesting. And so, I actually stopped playing a lot of the props just because that, you know, I felt like I was more focused on props than the game itself, and it got to the point where I felt annoyed at myself, so... I actually opted out of some of the props. Now, now we just play a lot of some of the stuff props and whatnot. Some uh-huh. people jump in, some people might not, but uh, the props have cooled down a bit. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. I think uh, during the first season of high stakes poker, uh, on a lot of the those guys, you know, like they were playing when it's 200, 400, whatever it was uh, at the time. And there was a lot of props going on so much so that it distracted from the television show that they were trying to right. record. The so, actual game itself, right? Yeah. Well, that's very and the props were actually probably picking, playing bigger than the game itself. So right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's uh, why exactly. they were so focused on that. Sure. So I mean, you've uh, lived in Las Vegas what, for what for your whole life? No, no, I moved here when for college. So okay. I came here when I was twenty years old. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, so, so I've been, been there for, for 19, quite a while. nineteen years. Yeah, that's quite quite a while years. already. Um, you know, we said you're a staple in that game and, you know, occasionally you play uh, tournaments, obviously the WSOP is a big, important time. Um, I'm wondering though, do you ever travel for cash games elsewhere because they're good? And I'm asking this question because 
Uh, you know, it's known, you know, back in the day, the Doyle Brunson, Texas road gambler era, you know, era, right. they went where there was a good girl, oh, we'll go to Biloxi for the weekend or, right. you know, those sorts of things. Does that happen um, in general at this 80, 60 level and for you specifically? Yeah, uh, it did for a while. Um, I actually stopped traveling for poker since I had my son because mm-hmm. uh, I can't really get out anymore. Uh, but, but before then, I was going to Arizona to Talking Sticks. They have mm-hmm. a good mix team there. Uh, I went to LA a lot, uh, not not even during tournaments, just for the just for the cash games like sure. Hollywood Park. But I thought I had a, had a good Omaha Edelberry game. They have a mm-hmm. twenty forty OE at the time. Um, there's many many options. Like, there were some good games in uh, Colorado, Blackhawk that I went to. So, what but, makes uh, a good game? What are you What are you searching for? Uh, just action, I guess. Mm-hmm. Games that have a lot of action. That's, so I mean, I I know a lot. I I knew a lot of people in those games, and uh, I okay. them, like you know how the games are, and they're like, yeah, games are good. There's a guy in town that wants to play. I'm like, uh-huh. okay, I guess I can head down for a weekend or whatever. So very, you know. very interesting world of that nature. It's like you gotta have to have someone planted at each place, and like let yeah. you know, hey, where are there good games? It's not like there's right. uh, well, a, little, you know, it's like on Poker Atlas. And it's not like yeah. it's going to have a little thing next to it saying this one's a good game. You know, you kind of just right. have to know. Well, that's the thing with the uh, Nolan Mahodam is like you just go anywhere. You can go anywhere and play Nolan Mahodam cash games like one, two, two, five, five, right. ten, and they may be good, they may be not. You never know. But like as far as like mixed games go, you know, there's probably one or two mixed games in almost every major city now, and it's there. You can pretty much go almost anywhere, like Texas, Florida, New York. They're all over. Right. Right. So you mentioned before, let's go back to the sort of strategic aspect. You know, you never necessarily learned from books. It's always from playing. It's always from experience. Uh, You said, you know, you're not playing online because live, the physical tells, you know, that sort of a thing is is very important, uh, you know, for, for the mix. Anything else that if someone wants to go ahead and jump into it, that they should be striving to perfect that's, I guess, sort of unique to mixed games as opposed to hold them that they should be more focused on? Well, like you said, you just got to stay really focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to watch what hand certain people play because mm-hmm. it's very important, I guess. In, I guess it depends on which kind of mixed games. If you play a horse, for example, it's become so common now that you don't have to pay too much attention because it's, a lot of it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like so, you Lima Hold'em, Omaha Eight Better. Like people consider Omaha Eight Better a very boring game now. So, you know, most people can just wait for hands and whatnot. It's become it has become kind of boring. But as far as like the draw games and new new variant of games like Draw Maha and whatnot, you have to pay attention to you know the hands people play and how they play them, and mm-hmm. really try and like work that into your game. And because it it. it it's still limit poker either way. And, you know, every bet that you save is a bet earned still mm-hmm. that that has not gone away. So you really have to like, I guess tighter mm-hmm. in a way. Okay. I, I don't know. Something like how, that. <laughs> how do you, I mean, beyond obviously, especially for cash game players, you know, the ultimate success is measured by, are you a winning player? Are you winning, you know, a certain number of, you know, big blinds per hour, that sort of a thing. Right. For yourself, though, is there any particular measure of success? Do you kind of go over after every session? Oh, I should have done this, should have done that, and you know, try to improve in that way, or or specific goals you try to meet? Um, 
I used to do that a lot in when I played hold'em because the flop never changes, the turn never changes, the river never changes. It's always the same. So you can say, I should have done this, why I should have done that. But in mixed games, it's a little bit different because a lot of times, depending on what you do, the, the rest of the streets, all the draws change. And you can't, mm-hmm. unless you fish and find out exactly what happens the rest of the hand, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I, I, I don't really say like, you know, I should have done that where I should have done this better or I should have played that instead. Like I try not to be results oriented because I just know that if I play like the way I play, hopefully, you know, with lower variance, at least over time, I should, I should win. Right. And if I'm going through like a rough patch where I'm losing every day, I just assume it's just due to variance because it's just a high, such a high variance game. Hmm. As far as limit limit poker goes, sure. Oh, very interesting. Very very interesting. It's like again, so it's so unique and different than the regular regular. You know, though I guess it's a, the more common conversations you have with uh, you know those who are mostly playing uh, no limit hold'em and, and tournaments yeah. uh, in particular. Uh, but we do have to talk about one tournament, obviously very important tournament to you, uh, the 10K Horse. Uh, you know, we mentioned that yeah. uh, you know you won uh, your first bracelet, close to half a million dollars. Uh, I don't know if I actually officially congratulated you for it, but congratulations still. Uh, Thank you. you know, it's, a, it's a big thing. Appreciate uh, it. it represents close to half uh, of your career winnings. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, in what way, if at all, now, again, I don't want to like assume or anything again, a big chunk of change. Does that change your life at all or not? No, not, not really. Uh, well, first of all, because I don't, ha- I didn't have a hundred percent of myself. So okay. even if I did, I don't think it would change much because I'm actually a very easygoing person. So I don't need a lot of stuff to change my life really. So I'm pretty happy with what I have right now. So whatever I make, whatever I don't make is you no, know, it's okay. I'm fine. With okay. Either way. And just sort of how about, uh, as a professional, was it, I don't know. Again, a lot of the guys we mentioned, the guys you play with, they've got their bracelets in their trophy cabinets. Yeah. And, you know, now you got your first one. Was there sort of like a, a monkey you're trying to get off your back a little bit? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a monkey or anything, but like I've never really thought of it as a goal. Although, uh, obviously, you know, every poker player wants to win a bracelet, but this was actually the first year that I decided that I want to try and win a bracelet before I turn 40. And after I said that, I realized, okay, that means that I have to win one this year because <laughs> I'm turning 40 next year before the World Series starts. Right. Like, that was not a very good goal. So I didn't really think much about it. Right. And then it, it actually happened. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can cost the goal off if okay. you consider it a goal or not. But, you know, but as far as like wanting to win a bracelet, like every player wants to win a bracelet. I mean, it's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to run so well for so long and, you know, it's, if it happens, you got to run well and you got to play well. You know, if you get there, you got to make the best of it. So. Right. I mean, to, I'm almost wondering, like, to what extent is there variance? Because I guess, you know, when you're playing in a 10K horse, you know, you don't have any, like, Cinderella stories necessarily. You know, you got to know the games. You got to know what you're doing. You have to be at least a certain level of proficiency. And I imagine, you know, when you get to a certain level of playing the game, I don't even know how much of an edge there is. Maybe some guys play this game better or that game better, but right. it to what degree does it, honestly, does it just boil down to, okay, luckily I got the right cards and went on a sun run for a couple of days? 
Um, that really depends because you, you can just turn run the entire thing and just win. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely possible. I've seen guys where, for example, the first uh, tournament that I cashed that we talked about earlier, the one at Caesars, the guy that won that, uh, he literally played every hand since I started playing with him like two or three tables to go. He played every single hand. And when we got to the final table, he had like 80% of the chips in play. Wow. And he just, he played every hand. He got a piece of the pot every hand, no matter what he did. So uh, you can definitely just sun run your way to wristlet. And that's happened before. It's definitely going to happen again. But as far as, you know, knowing all the games and whatnot, it's not just you knowing the games. You got to know how your opponent, your opponent plays that uh-huh. game too. And try and not really outplay them, but like just use their tendencies and exploit them to your advantage, you know? Right. So. Right. Okay. And that, you know, and also I guess it's not just how they play in general, but maybe that, you know, noticing that they've switched gears or doing something differently in this specific tournament, I guess. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. um, for example, when I got heads up with Craig, I started noticing that he was limping a lot of buttons. He was limping into a lot of, uh, uh, stud hands too. And, just to see Fourth Street and whatnot, and you know, I, I went along with it for a while, and you know, we played very low variance poker for like the first level of Heads Up, and you know, it was it was actually working in, in his favor for a little while, and you know, he got the chip leaf for a little bit, and towards the end of the level, I kind of got a little, I started getting you know a little lucky and hitting some flops, you know, hitting a couple of gut shots here and there, and got the chip lead back. And then that's when I decided after the next level, I'm just going to start, you know, upping the uh, variance. Right. And hopefully he doesn't adjust to it. Well, I don't know if he did or not. And, you know, but I still, I ran pretty well. So I, I was able to win a lot, a lot of key pots. For sure. To get him I... down. And yeah, to get him, to get him crippled down to, you know, he has to make a stand. So. Right. Right. Uh, I know our uh, community questions. There's someone who asked uh, specifically about that. So we'll dive a little bit more deeply into that uh, very soon. I've just got a couple more questions of my own before we move into the community questions. Um, well, you okay. said the wind doesn't necessarily change your life, but, you know, and, you know, even if you don't have, a, you know, all of yourself, it's a nice chunk of change. Was there any splurge, anything cool or exciting you did to celebrate? Um, no, not really. I haven't bought anything with it yet. Um, I thought about buying new golf clubs, but I kind of feel like that's a waste of money. So, um, <laughs> not really. How often do you play golf? Uh, I before the Rose Series, I played a lot because I had a uh, prop bet, and oh, but wow. now because it's, it's, it's too hot right now, so I'm, I'm right. waiting for the heat to go down a little bit before I start playing again. Okay, <laughs> so I'll probably play like three, four times a week. Okay, nice. Too, so yeah. that's good. Good uh, recreational activity. Uh, and my last question: you know, we've been you know very into you know what you do at the felt poker strategy, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know you're married, you're a dad. You know, so what's sort of family life like? Uh, what's your your day to day when you're not playing poker? Uh, pretty much the same every day. Just I had to wake up early. I committed myself to taking my son to school every morning, or try to my my best to. So. Uh, my wife works at home most of the time now, so I wake up, take him to school, come back. Right now, I just go back to sleep because it's too hot outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing, nothing to do. So, but sure. Uh, once the, the weather cools down, I'm going to try and play golf every morning if I can. Nice. And we usually try and get our uh, game going by the afternoon. So, 
if it doesn't go, then I just stay home, pick up, pick up my son from school, and hang out with him for the rest of the night. So nice. Uh, how old is he? If I can ask. Uh, five. He just Wonderful. started kindergarten. Very nice. Very cool. Yeah. And what else do you guys do for fun uh, when you when you, when you hire the babysitter to come on? Uh, no, I've never hired a babysitter, and I don't. In five years. Like yeah. Wow. Wow. That's surprising. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, well, I mean, I'm a father of three and, and every so often we just needed a night out for ourselves just to go out to dinner. Oh, well, yeah, sure. I think I've, in, that, in that five years, I've had a night out to ourselves maybe twice. Wow. But, uh, but uh, yeah, my uh, sister-in-law, uh, she she's always willing to take my son in for the night if we wanted to. So but, that's very nice. You know, always yeah, good so. to have family nearby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. All right. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, we'll now uh, switch to the segment of the show. It's always important, you know, both at and away from the felt. Got to change gears. We're going to turn to our Cards Jack community to see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests. Uh, we do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Um, I love this name, Gutshot Gus. It's a name I've never seen before. Thank you very much, Gutshot Gus, uh, for sending in this question. And I mentioned, uh, Andrew, that uh, there would be something more specific about your win. First, uh, Gutshot Gus says, congrats on winning the 10K horse at the WSOP. With three players left, it was you, Craig Chait, and Philip Long. Philip made a run, and he could have been your heads-up competition for the win, it ended up being you and Craig heads up and you closed it out with an Omaha high, low hand, which is your favorite game to play. How significant was it to win in specifically Omaha high, low? Um, it actually wasn't significant at all. To be honest. <laughs> like, I didn't really care which game I wanted. in. Mm-hmm. Um, being that it was Omaha high, low, maybe, maybe it was a little bit to my advantage because I have a lot of experience in that game as far as like heads up and whatnot. So, but um, as far as which game, it, it really didn't matter to me. Um, all that mattered to me was like all of the chips. Okay. So nice. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter which game. Well, I'll just follow it, up specifically. Angle is the same, so. Right, right, right. Well, I'll just follow specifically. Why is Omaha Hilo your favorite game? Any particular reason? Well, that's just the game that I started my whole mixed game thing with, so. Nice. And like I said, we I started the 360 at Bellagio and mm-hmm. I just fell in love with that game. And I try to learn how to play that game in every possible way. So nice. Um, yeah. Oh, very cool. Okay. One more from uh, Gutshot Gus. Um, we will allow you to take a time bank on this one if you want. If you had a choice, okay. would you rather have played Philip instead of Craig heads up for the win? Oh no, no. Um, as far as skill goes, it really doesn't matter. I, I really don't care who I play against heads up. Mm. Um, it could have been any one of the five or four, I guess. Uh, it really doesn't matter to me. Um, it's definitely possible that I have you know less of a chance of winning against like maybe John Reisner or uh, Bryce or somebody else. But um, I really want to get heads up with Craig because we share a lot of mutual friends, and oh, I, just, nice. I just knew that it would be it would have been a really fun final table in which. Obviously, it was, and yeah, it's a hell of a was, hell of a winner's photo. You got like your whole group behind you. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was really fun because, like, you know, people who were close to him were behind his rail. People who right. were close to me were behind my rail, and people who we both, you know, were close to, they were in the middle. So it, it was a very, really good environment. And awesome. I know I if I was playing with Philip 
uh, heads up, we wouldn't have had that uh, environment. So ah, okay, it would have been nice. it would have been a lot more serious, which is fine. But you know, I just I always like have fun. So with Craig, I knew it would have been a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, you certainly when you won, you had a lot of people congratulating you. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's always good to have uh, friends supporting you. Um, yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, Crystals. Thank you very much, Crystals, one of our regulars uh, who has the following questions for you, Andrew. Uh, the 2022 WSOP was a good series for you, considering you won over half a million dollars. You won your first bracelet. You pushed your overall lifetime winnings over a million dollars. Aside from winning the bracelet, what was the most memorable part of the series for you? Hmm. Aside from winning the bracelet. But I might need a timing for this one. Okay. okay. It's, it's good Let's you hold see. on to them. That's good. Yeah. Um, the one that comes up immediately was during the main event um, money bubble. Mm. Uh, I knew that my friend Scott Abram- Abrams was on the final table of the uh, PLO Ada Better. Mm-hmm. And oh, sorry, the uh, uh, Ada Better mix. Okay. Um, but I didn't know he was in the same room I was. Oh. So on the first hand of um, uh, the, the uh, money bubble in the main event, I was sitting on, just on the table and it was taking a very long time. I'm just sitting there, I'm getting bored. And I found out my buddy Nick was in the room. So I walked over to him all the way on the other side of the room. We talked for a little bit and I realized every hand was taking like 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, the hand was taking like 10 to 15 minutes, right? Yeah. So I was like, Jesus. And then so I walked back and then when I walked back, I noticed Scott was playing his final table right in the middle of the room. I thought, like, oh, sweet. So I just walked over there and I started sweating him. They're like, hey, you made it. I was like, I didn't know he was here. I thought I'd be here already. So after that, every single, I think the, what was it? The bubble probably lasted like five or six hands, I think. Yeah, it was a while. And every time, every every time we play a new hand, I just pulled it right away and I walked over <laughs> to the final table and I just sweated him for the next like 10 minutes and whatnot. So it was That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's a great memory to have. I like that. Good question, Crystals. Great answer, Andrew. All right. Um, next one, what we have here. Okay. What What is your poker goal for the next World Series of Poker next year? Next year? Um, my first thought was to defend the 10K Championship. Nice. Which would be pretty cool. Uh, obviously, win another bracelet, maybe two, hopefully. That'll be pretty cool, too uh as far as actual goals go don't really have one just trying not to break too many tournaments i guess I <laughs> <laughs> manage the variance try, right? try and run well yeah there you go there you go um chica bonita has got some questions for you also thank you chica bonita um i like this, this is a great question uh you've been playing poker for so long andrew what allows you to keep your love for the game after so many years that's a good question. I've never really known why I like the game of poker so much. It just it's just so fascinating to me. And it's always changing. As far as like, you know, I started playing off playing Hold'em and Nome Hold'em and Lemma Hold'em. And uh it got born to me really quickly. And then that's when I discovered Mix. Um that's when I jumped into that Omaha tournament and sparked the whole mix game thing. And then I went to um started playing some of the six twelve mix game with Kendo and their group and some of that. Uh, but I just find poker fascinating. Like I have a really poor memory and all my friends know this as far as like remembering things and whatnot. But like, for some reason I can just remember everything about poker. Like 
if I think back and remember a lot of key hands I played from like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And as far as real life goes, I can't remember anything. So <laughs> I don't know. It's something about poker that just clicks with me. That's great. That's, that's a genuine passion from the heart. That's good. Um, more from Chica Benita. Andrew, could you remember a player who was really difficult for you to beat or perhaps whom you couldn't beat and would like to beat in the future? That I couldn't beat. Someone sort of really holding over you, I guess. Um, I mean, there's always been players that held over me, but I know that's just like, you know, it just happens. You know? mm. I don't care about beating anybody, really. It's just like, it just, every hand is a new hand, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if I have, maybe hold over me for the next 10 years, you know, as long as I beat everyone else, I can care about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good trade. It happens. Okay, good. Next one from Chica Bonita. Who do you admire among your fellow poker players and why? Who do I admire? You know, I've always thought about this, like who I look up to as a poker player. I mean, I don't really have anybody because I never really read anyone's books or study anyone's, you know, videos or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I never really looked up to anybody. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, who's your favorite, you know, sports model or whatever uh-huh. i i just don't have one okay i don't i don't really look up to anybody and but not in a negative way it's just oh no no not in a negative way i just right. i just don't find that like i don't find that to help you in any, any kind of way hmm. i try and like you know instead of looking up to somebody i try and become that person if i can hmm. you know and that's i think it's a harder way to get there but Mm-hmm. It, it, you create your own path that way, at least. How about outside of poker? Outside of poker? Yeah, that's my question. Same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really have anyone to look up to. Mm. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of weird like that. I, I don't really, like, let's just say a celebrity walks by and, you know, let's like say uh, Dwayne Johnson or whoever walks by and, you know, some people like Gush and whatnot, like, oh, my God. And like, I don't, I never get like that. I don't, I don't really care. I mean, it's just, you know, just, he's just another person. And I'm sure he wants to be treated like another person. Sure. Like a normal person, too. So I just, the way I've gone about the entire, my whole life, like. Interesting. Just trying yeah. to be normal. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Very cool. Um, oh, here's a fun one. Uh, do you have any pets? Pets? Yes. I did. Not, I don't have one. I don't have one anymore. But I, uh-huh. I used to have I used to have cats, but and then I found out I'm very allergic to cats. And okay. <laughs> I can no longer have cats. <laughs> okay. okay. Um okay, that's Chica Bonita. We've got one more question asker here. Always uh, with the creative questions, our good friend Acid Burn FX. Thank you very much for sending these in. Um Acid Burn FX wants to know, Andrew, if you could do one thing with a 0% chance of failure, what would it be and why? One thing with a 0% chance of failure. No matter what, you will not fail. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I told you, lots of I mean, right field questions here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just have to go for, for all of it, right? Like whatever it is to get it all, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't want to be greedy because I'm not a greedy person. Okay. Wait, that is 0% of, 0% of failing. Hmm. 
right. I make number two. No problem. And we'll use this opportunity while Andrew is thinking to say thank you again to everyone so much for listening to this Card Chat podcast and for sending in your questions. Uh, you know, especially if you haven't sent in questions before, like Gutshot Gus, you're almost guaranteed uh, that they will get the shout out and read on the next episode. I mean, uh, I, as far as poker players go, I would assume everyone would say playing the main event with like a hundred percent chance of winning, right? Okay. Um, but that would be the obvious, not obvious answer, but that'll be a common answer. Um, I mean, I don't know. Because Some- I already won a bracelet, I think it's, that kind of kills the question for me because if I haven't won it briefly yet, I would be like, well, any, like one of my favorite, I'll play one of my favorite events and just win it because I would really want to win an event, but. Maybe something outside of poker that you've always wanted to do or something like that, but had a, a fear of not succeeding. Is there something like that in your life? Uh, maybe more a fantasy kind of thing, like flying. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's a, I always thought it'd be cool if I can fly. So if I have a zero percent chance of failing and just fly everywhere, that'd be pretty cool. Is there somewhere you would fly to? Yeah, everywhere, I guess. Two and from a poker game. Now I don't need a car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Save on gas, that's for sure. Um, okay, two more from Acid Burn FX. Uh, what do you believe is the most important invention in history and why? most important invention in history well i always said that like kleenex tissues are like the greatest invention ever hmm. but that was more of a joke okay. <laughs> but like, like a serious joke because like you know i have a lot of allergies so like uh-huh. i go through kleenex during allergy season like crazy <laughs> um so to me that was like the greatest invention ever but uh i think that's fair it's ever. about to be a subjective answer yeah I mean, that's always been my answer for that. Like, I, 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 I've always said, like, Kleenex is, like, the greatest invention ever, so. Huh. That's very interesting. I love these questions because, you know, it's not always have to be about poker. You learn a lot about someone right. or lots, lots of little tidbits. Um, yeah. Our last question, we'll end off with this one, Andrew. Um, Acid Burn FX wants to know, if you could create any law that's applicable to everyone else but not to you, what would it be and why? Any law that's applicable. That everyone, everyone else knows. has to stick to, but you do not. You are immune to prosecution or something. That's not really fair, though, is it? That, it's a hypothetical. It's a, yeah, hypothetical. a lot of things, um, almost. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I guess... Hmm. That one, I'm going to need a lot of time on, because I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I've never even thought about stuff like that before so i don't even know where to begin to think because like i don't really care about doing a lot of things so mm. i don't i don't even know where to start thinking stuff like that i think that is fair you know i'm not going to necessarily put you on the spot for that one and perhaps it gives well, us a good it's not really a spot because i don't even know where to begin okay. <laughs> i mean I, I guess we can go back to the flying thing right everyone cannot fly but i can fly but that's not against the law. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I forgot that part. See? Right. Bad memory. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it has to be a law. Like, would you be, you want to be, I want to run through red lights, for example. Yeah, I was just thinking that actually. I was just thinking that like speeding because I drive pretty aggressive. So uh-huh. maybe, maybe I'm allowed to speed and no one else is, but that's kind of dangerous. So that's not <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I okay. have no idea. That's fair. <laughs> we, we will accept that answer. You've been very awesome and forthcoming with your answers to all the other questions. So I want to thank everyone who sent in questions for Andrew Gay to answer. And one more friendly reminder to all of you out there, uh, go ahead, submit your questions on the Cards Chat forums. We do have a dedicated thread there. And guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Andrew, before we let you go, is there anything else you want to share with the Cards Chat audience? Um, not really. Just really appreciate you guys having me on here. It's been really fun. Okay. Uh, thanks for all the awesome questions and uh, it was a great interview. I loved it. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to hear you had a great time. That's uh, my number one goal uh, when we get on the podcast to begin with. So thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Guys, thanks again uh, for joining us here on the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.